0: Romans chapter 14. And about a month ago, we finished Romans 13. I just wanted you to go back a few verses. Let's pick up on verse 11 of 13 before we get into our text for tonight. Uh, Verse 11, chapter 13. And do this knowing that the time that is, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Now, at the end of that chapter, we're going to hit with some heavy sins, some heavy lifestyles. One of the things you're going to see tonight are some of the things that maybe we don't consider sin, but yet just as devastating as the things at the end of chapter 13, especially within the body of Christ, and what it can do to tear us apart, not only in our relationship with each other, but our relationship with Jesus Christ. The title of tonight's message is Diet and Exercise. And I heard a couple oh no's, but this isn't any New Year's resolution. Um, and we're going to speak at, we're going to just use that title because just from your reaction, we know how much a struggle that is for us as humans. Eating the right foods, getting the right amount of exercise. Well, it's, tonight we want to apply it spiritually speaking. How are we eating spiritually? How are we exercising spiritually? And the neat part where we are in Romans right now is we're seeing the practical part of the book of Romans. You know, the first several chapters, it told us what a mess we were in. How we are all sinners, simply saved by the grace of God. And now in the last couple chapters, we're seeing the practical application of our walk with Jesus Christ. The prayer I opened up with tonight was taken from Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. To offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord, because what else can we do once we find out what Jesus Christ has done for us? What other choice do we have? When, you, when the rubber meets the road, where else do we go but to Jesus? And then in verse 2 of Romans chapter 12, it says, Not to be conformed to this world, Not to be molded. Every day the world is trying to mold you and me more and more like it. But thanks be to God, we have Jesus Christ who is preventing us from going into that mold and He's making us more like Him. So let's jump into uh, Romans chapter 14. Right now I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 of 14. Receive one who is weak in the faith. But not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day, to the Lord he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. Wow, a lot of eating and non-eating going on here. Can't figure out if you're hungry or starving. Well, you have to remember, Paul is writing this letter to the Romans. But what is happening? Happening is people are coming. To salvation, to Jesus Christ, through the gospel being preached. There is a magnificent thing happening in the world. It's still happening today. But back here, you've got to remember you have the Jews who are coming to the Lord with all their observances, all their legalistic rituals. Then you're having Gentiles, non Jews, who might have pagan traditions, or they might not, they might do anything they want. There's no structure. But now you're having these two groups come together. Then, if you throw in the other people that are coming to the Lord, people who are educated, people who are philosophers, so they have all this mixture of thoughts and religious traditions or non-traditions going on. And you might be saying, well, we're reading this, but what is the application to you and I today? Well, remember, every time we open up God's word, our faith is being renewed and strengthened. There's something in everything that we read. Every jot and tittle, it says, everything that we read in the scriptures is for you and for me. One of the things I want to go to right away is verse 1. One who is weak in the faith. Now, I think that's a great point to start. When you talk about diet and exercise, if a person is weak and they want to get stronger, well, right away, you've got to watch what you eat, you've got to watch your nutrition, and you've got to exercise, physically speaking. But a person who is weak in the faith, what does that mean? How does a person become weak? Well, there's a a few ways. They could be a baby, could be a brand new believer. They're a babe in Christ. They're not mature yet. And just like a little baby is not mature, it's got to come to that point of growth. And what a beautiful thing it is to see an infant growing, becoming a child, and then a preteen and a teen and then an adult, and to be able to see that transformation over the course of a lifetime is awesome. How much so it is with a spiritual babe to see them grow, to see them mature, to see them go through struggles and then bounce out of it and be better because of it. Well, another way a person can be weak in the faith Is they're not being fed the word. They come to the knowledge of Christ, but they're not being taught God's bread. They're not being nourished. They're not being strengthened. Another way a person can be weak in the faith is they're caught up in legalism, they're in a legalistic church, and they never grow. It stunts their growth. And another one is, They can be weak in the faith through a lack of exercise, not being encouraged, not being pushed, not being challenged in love to grow. A muscle only develops when it's exercised. And once you get a muscle, if you don't exercise, it's not a muscle anymore, it disappears. One of the things in these first six verses is there is a conviction that must take place. There's also a conscience that must be stirred up. And there must be compassion. Because what is happening here is Paul is admonishing the people he's writing to is to receive one who is weak in the faith but not to disputes over doubtful things. And we'll give you some examples of that in a minute. We see one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. And now one of the reasons this was going on was because there was meat that was sacrificed to the idols. So a Jewish person didn't want to have any meat that was sacrificed to the idol. So they might just eat the vegetables. Vegetables. But yet when they both came to Christ, they were bringing their background with them. So if you were a non-Jew and you could care less if the meat was sacrificed to idols or not, we might sit down at a table and you're just eating the meat, but it might be an offense to me because of my background. But at the same time, I might be the meat eater and I might be looking down at you because all you're eating is vegetables. So there's that conflict going on here. Do we have that in the church today? Now, I know one of the things we're referred to sometimes is Calorie Chapel. Because a lot of things that we do centers around food. When we have outings and picnics and dan- whatever we're doing, square dances or there's always a lot of food and fun and fellowship. But the central thing here in this church is always the teaching of God's word. That's the main thing. And it will always be the main thing here. But you can see that there was a problem here. Because some people who were strong in the faith were criticizing those who were weak in the faith. And this should never be. Notice what it says here, not to dispute over doubtful things. And I think in our growth, where you are in your Christian growth, that could be happening today. It might have happened already today. I'm going to give you some examples of that before we move on to verse uh, 7. How about have you ever in your Christian life had a discussion with someone? Can Christians dance? Right? Has that ever come up? My answer to that is, some can and some can't. (laughs) But that is sometimes a conflict for people that come out of a legalistic background. Can a Christian dance? Is it okay to dance? Is it okay for a Christian to smoke? See, these are debatable things. These are things that don't really have um, doctrine to back it up. I mean, there's no dispute over things such as the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he is God in the flesh. Those things will never change. Those are not doubtful things. Those are backed by the scriptures. But can a Christian be saved if they're a smoker? There's nothing in Scripture that talks about that. It talks about the, your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. Does a Christian who smoke go to heaven? Absolutely. They just might get there a little quicker than a person who doesn't smoke. <laughs> In verse 4, it says, Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. what Paul is saying is, both the Jew and the Gentile, regardless of their background, are saved. And it's not my concern over these doubtful things to make an issue of them. It's not something that should divide us. It shouldn't come between us. And yet, in my time at this church, there's been things where people have left this church over doubtful things. We keep the main thing the main things, and we can agree to disagree on those doubtful things. But we're going to see in the verses that are coming up, it's important for mature Christians not to do things that are going to stumble weak Christians. And that's a responsibility and something that we are accountable for. Because we're all in developing stages in our relationship with Jesus. Regardless of how long you've been a believer. We can never stop growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Verse 5 and down through 6. Where they esteem one day above another. Now remember in the uh, Judaism... There's all the feast days. So a Jew coming to Christ, receiving Jesus as the Messiah. We see it today. We had a beautiful example when we had the Passover explained from a Jewish point of view and its Christian meaning. All the feast days of the Jewish people have a Christ-centered meeting in it. And it's so much more fulfilling to a Messianic Jew once they come to Christ to see that right there in their feast was Jesus Christ. So what Paul is saying here, hey, if you're a Jew that became a believer in Christ and you want to continue keeping your feast, by all means do so. But if I'm a Gentile and I came out of a pagan background, I don't have to keep those feasts. So I have to respect where you're coming from and you need to respect where I'm coming from. Because these are the things that we don't want to divide us because we're united in Christ. Keeping the main thing, the main thing. And notice in verse 6, he who observes that special day observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe that day, to the Lord he does not observe it. And then he compares it to eating. He gives God thanks. And he who doesn't eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. What's the main thing? In just verse 6, four times the word Lord is used. The whole point of this is the food, the day, is not to be your Lord. Jesus Christ is to be your Lord. That day, whether it's seven days a week, that is special to you, or you shoot for that one or two days a week, well, to you, that's your day. How many times do you have a a conversation with a person about Christmas? And some people say, well, every day should be Christmas. Right. Jesus is living with you every day. It's not just that one day we celebrate or the resurrection Easter Sunday. It's every day. He's he's risen. He's alive today. Verse seven, for none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. We've been bought with a price, the special, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. If he is Lord of your life, that fits right in with seven. None of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. We can think we do. A person can think that their whole life centered around them. But then one day they're going to realize that it didn't. And it's going to be a wasted life. Now, if we can die to ourselves while we're here on this earth. And live for Christ, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Wow. Wow. That's an abundant life. And we get to open up his word every day. Do we take advantage of that so he can build his life into us through his precious Holy Spirit? Verse 8, for if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. So just in verses 6, 7, 8, and 9, there's eight times the word Lord is mentioned. How much do you think Jesus wants us to understand that he wants to be our Lord in all areas? Whether we're eating, drinking, sleeping, exercising, dieting, it doesn't matter. It's all about Jesus Christ. Everything else you can put in that category of a doubtful thing. Don't let it divide us with each other. We're sons and daughters of the king. Those little things shouldn't be a division point in our lives or in our church. Verse 10 But why do you judge your brother, or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. When I was studying and preparing this, I was just thinking, wow, you know, one of the things I think the Lord was just impressing on me is to encourage you to be careful. Be careful of the things that you criticize. Because remember, gossip and slander is a sin. Murder is a sin. Sexual immorality is a sin. Drunkenness is a sin. Talking about others is a sin. Sin kills. Sin destroys. Sin separates. Understand there's no little sin. Sins are sin. And in God's eyes, he wants us to be holy. So we need, I think we really do need to examine ourselves when we're in that little group of two or three. What are we saying there? What's being talked about? Is it edifying? Or are we dwelling on doubtful things? Are we doing things that can really separate? Or are we trying to point everybody towards Jesus Christ? Now in verse 10, if you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your sins have been judged. You're going to heaven. What this us is speaking about, the judgment seat of Christ is not judgment for your salvation. Okay, it's also known as the Bema Seat. It's where you're going to go for your reward. good example would be an, uh, an Olympic judge that's given out the gold, silver, and bronze medals. You're in that race, and the race is over, and you're standing before the judge, and he's going to award you first, second, or third place. That's spiritually speaking, the Bema seat is where we're going to go to receive our rewards for what we did on this earth for Jesus Christ. We're going to be standing before Him, and everything's going to be burnt away in our life except what we did for Jesus. That's it. Nothing else matters. Doesn't matter if I was a professional athlete, doesn't matter. If I was a teacher or a doctor. Doesn't matter. Only thing that's going to matter is what I did and what you did for Jesus Christ. So when I was reading this, I was saying, holy mackerel, I'm thinking of all the times in my life that I judged someone else. That I made a judgment call on somebody else's actions or behaviors or speech or even their spiritual walk. How could they do that? Don't they know this? How could they be like that? And then it says here in verse 11, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Verse 12, so then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Verse 13, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather... Resolve this, not to put a stumbling block, a cause to fall in our brother's way. Now, I'm going to stand before Jesus one day to give an account of myself of what I did for him. Why the heck would I be worried about you and making a judgment call on you when I'm going to be the one saying, well, you know what, Lord, I'm glad I'm standing before you today because I want to make some judgment calls on my wife, Maria. I got a list. Really? I'm going to worry about those things or worry about you? Each of us are going to stand before Jesus one-on-one to give an account. How diligent should we be in the days that we have left to just be living for Jesus Christ and not get caught up And all those things that can distract us in our walk and our love relationship with him. I thought of the prodigal son's brother. Those inside sins, those heart sins that weren't as visible as the prodigal son. You know, the envy, the jealousy. uh, Everything that was going inside that if you look on the outside, you really can't see it. You know, you can, see, you can see some of the bigger sins on the outside of people. But we don't know who's talking about another person in the church or who doesn't like another person in the church or can't stand being around that person. You know, unless it gets back to us some way through somebody else that's gossiping. And you know, the gossip is like a domino effect. It just keeps going until it gets back to somebody. But this really hit me today that, you know, we're going to stand, you and I are going to stand, as as real as we're sitting here, we're going to be standing before Jesus. And we need to worry just about ourselves. Pray for each other. We should be praying for one another. And if there's somebody that's rubbing you the wrong way, well, I can guarantee that Jesus put that person right in your life for you to be a prayer warrior for that person because it's showing you and me, our hearts, And how much junk there's in there that we would feel this way towards another person. And I think of the scriptures in Revelation, which says, To you has an ear, hear what the Lord is saying. And I think that's very relevant for us here tonight. Whether we're in a church, in a workplace, all this stuff is real stuff that takes place with Christians and non-Christians. want to encourage myself and you what verse 13 says. But rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Pray before we do or say anything. Lord, I don't want to stumble this person. I don't want to make them fall because of my actions or my words or my lack of action or lack of words. Verse 14, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. I think this is important because there's certain things in your life and my life that we still, remember in Christ we have the free, we are are free. Christ has set us free. But you know and I know there's certain things that we might uh, hear, look at, places to go that would be a stumbling block in our own individual relationship with Jesus. And I need to know what is your stumbling block. For example, if someone I was mentoring told me that... um, Let's just say gambling was a a thing that they were addicted to and they came out of that lifestyle. Well, I wouldn't go anywhere near a conversation, a place that might cause him to stumble back into gambling. Okay, you can do that with anything. You can do that with music. You can do that with money. I mean, anything can stumble another person. So I'm not going to live a lifestyle with a friend that could cause that person to stumble, even though it doesn't cause me to stumble. I know I've had conversations with people in this church that maybe they don't go to the beach anymore because they've had a a problem with lust in the past. Where, is there anything wrong going to the beach? Not at all. Not at all. But if it makes you stumble, then don't go to the beach. Maybe go up in the mountains. You know? Maybe go minister to some Eskimos. But the point being, if anything makes you or I stumble, we need to stay away from that. And hopefully, we're at that point in our lives where we understand that. We're not dabbling in areas that would cause us to stumble. But we also have to take each other in account. And remember how this chapter started one who is weak in the faith. So we need to always be concerned with each other. What is something that's going to edify you and not cause you to stumble? Verse 15: Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. And again, going back into this situation, again, let's just say it was a Jew and a Gentile, and the Gentile was coming over or having the Jew over for a supper, and they might understand that the Jewish person hasn't come out of that. They're not spiritually free enough. They're growing in Christ. They don't understand that whole thing with the meat and the meat sacrifice to the idols and all that stuff. So he won't even serve meat at that meal. He'll stay away from that if it's going to be something that could be a stumbling block. Okay? Where maybe 10 years down the road, that same person, the Jewish person invites that non-Jew over and has steak or some ribs. And there was growth there. It wasn't something that divided their friendship. It wasn't something that caused them to Stop their association. But remember what the whole scripture says. To love one another. To do everything you do in love. And that's really the crux of this chapter. Besides Jesus being Lord, he says, just love one another. Hey, if I know there's something that I can do free, but it's going to cause you to stumble, well, it's going to be a test for me. Do I love what I'm doing more than I love you? And if the answer to that is yes, then I got a problem. I have the problem. Not you. I got the problem. I should be able to give up anything in the love for my fellow man. Verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That word righteousness, that word peace, and that word joy, all notice it's in the Holy Spirit. Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus is our peace. Jesus is our joy. Everything else that comes as a result of our communion, our relationship with Jesus, and our relationship with one another might end up in the eating and drinking and fellowshipping. But it's not the central issue. The issue is our love for Jesus and our love for one another. It's all about grace, isn't it? It's not about legalism. It's not about the do's and the don'ts. It's about the grace that God has extended to us that we wanted to extend it to each other. Verse 18, for he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Notice how serving Christ, of course, is acceptable to his Father, but notice how it's also approved by men because they're blessed by it. There's a reward there, and that's the love that people are receiving from a believer who's walking with Christ. They'll know we are Christians by our love. Verse 19, Therefore let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure But it is evil for the man who eats with offense. Well, if I do anything, again, Paul is targeting food in this matter because that was an issue with all the people coming to the Lord and their different backgrounds. But for me or you, it could be something that would stumble you. If I I did something, even if it was something good that stumbles you, I need to look at my motive. What's my motive for doing that? Not to hurt you. Now we're also called to reprove and admonish one another. That's scriptural. You know, if I say, hey, I need to talk to you about something. And in love, I explain this to you. That's what Christian, mature Christians do for each other and for the younger Christian, but it's done in love, not in a harsh, mean way. Verse 21, it is, it is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. How would you feel if after the service tonight, Pastor Joe and Pastor Paul and myself, and you saw us going into one of the local bars, or uh, we went into one of the clubs, I don't think that would strike your heart in a nice way. Now, it might, we might not do anything in there, but it has a semblance of evil. What are they doing? Why would those guys be going into there? Well, we would never do that. For the very reason, it's not edifying to our spirits, and it would not be edifying to you, and it could cause you to stumble if you saw your pastors doing that. It's important of how you are affecting one another. Verse 22. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. Now, I might be or you might be a very strong Christian and we have our convictions. But in those things that we're very strong in, would it cause a weaker or a younger brother to stumble? If it did, then let us be strong before the Lord in our faith where it's not going to cause a younger brother or sister to fall. example, probably uh, a quick example again, is that whole thing, let's just do the beach thing again. doesn't bother me to go to the beach, but it bothers that younger brother. So we're not going to go to the beach together. We won't do that. Why? Because I care about his walk with the Lord. Verse 23, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. We walk by faith, not by sight. The very things that we believe in, if I believe that what I'm going to do to you is a sin, then I'm not going to go there. I'm not even gonna, if I have a doubt about it, I'm not going to go there. If I feel that I should speak to you and I have a doubt in my spirit, Well, I'll go to one of the elders or I'll go to Pastor Joe or Pastor Paul and I'll discuss this and I'll pray with them before I approach that person to talk about them, to talk to them about something in their lives. Because I don't want to go to you or to any person and cause that to be a stumbling block for you. I want to make sure it's something that the Lord's given me to share with you. want to close with just a thought of two things. One is in verses 6 through 14, nine times the word Lord is mentioned in verses 6 through 14. And then to resolve not to put a stumbling block or cause our brother to fall in any way. So, Jesus being our Lord, he is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Stumbling block before our brother, not to help him to stumble. And the reward, where we're going to stand before Jesus Christ one day to give an account of what we heard and what we did with what we heard. In Revelation 22, 12, it says, Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Let's make a resolve tonight as we close. Well, Lord, you know, I'm not where I should be with you, where you want me to be, but I can look back and see where you've taken me from when I first received you as Lord and Savior. And Lord, I just want to be with you every hour, every minute, every second to where we're going to be going tonight and tomorrow. So Jesus, be our Lord in all situations. Help me not to be a stumbling block in anything that I do or say. And Lord, get me ready for that day that I'm standing before you face to face. Let it not be a day of fret and fear and trembling, but a great anticipation that, Lord, it was awesome. I lived my life for you. This was awesome, Lord. Thank you for the time I was down here. Now what are we going to do? I'm ready. Let's go. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. amen? Amen.